Hey, um, here at Christ Community, uh, we talk a lot about uh, going outside. We talk a lot about what that means for our faith. We talk about uh, just doing it in general, getting outside of our comfort zones, getting outside the building. Uh, this week, it's been really neat. Uh, neat is, is neat a cool word anymore? Maybe I'm getting old. It's like been on point here. At, I don't know what the word is. But uh, it's been awesome to see what God has done uh, in this space this week. So just this week, uh, where you're sitting, uh, there's been a gathering of uh, local service providers who provide everything from health care to, I mean, you name it. Uh, and all the nonprofits had uh, a lunch here on Monday. Uh, and it's really neat to see what God does in that. Um, we had um, a community baby shower here this week where uh, more than 40 moms came and were able to uh, be educated and receive much-needed supplies and resources. That's been awesome. And um, there's another meeting of, of the business owners here in Governor's Square, and it's amazing to see them coming together and trying to figure out how do we make an impact in our community on the outside, and, and several of them are believers, and, and so, you know, the gospel's infused in that. And so it's really amazing to see this vision of uh, joining Jesus on the outside begin to transform us and our community and all things, and um, I, I love it. Um, that doesn't even count what happened at Midland yesterday. Um, almost $2,000 raised for our team of people going to Honduras, uh, which is awesome and amazing. They're going to, yeah, you can give, give God a round of applause. And um, we, uh, man, it's just fun, right? It's fun when you go outside of yourself and you work together with other believers in the kingdom and see what God, uh, what, what God does with it. Uh, if you're new and um, if you're not, uh, this serves as a reminder if you're not and if you're new, let me give you a little introduction to next week. Next week is a week at Christ Community that we call Love Shelbyville Days. And so um, on a Love Shelbyville Day, you're going to come back into this place, and again, inside is going to look a little bit different. And there's going to be several groups that you can come and you engage with. And you, we go serve with our mission partners, and we serve families in our community. We do all kinds of different stuff, whether it's, I mean, you name it, right? Like I, I get a text probably every day like, hey, have we ever thought about doing this for a Love Shelbyville group? So uh, if you got one of those, shoot me one of those. But um, uh, it's really just a lot of fun. It's, it's uncomfortable. You're like, wait, I'm going to go to church in jeans and a T-shirt, and then I'm going to turn around and go leave and serve? Yes, it'll be okay. So uh, that's next week. And um, all of those things feed, uh, feed this vision at Christ Community where we, um, we love God, we love people, we love our community. And, and as God changes us, we realize that he sends us out to start other new churches in communities that, that need the gospel in them. And so um, I'm really excited about that vision and what God's doing in that. And um, in, in response to that, I want to introduce you to a special guest here at Christ Community today. Uh, Shannon, if you would just kind of give us a, a hand wave. He and his wife Mary are here. Give Shannon a round of applause for me. <clears throat> so um, here at Christ Community, we give to something. We're one of uh, more than 2,000 churches who give to something called the Cooperative Program. And um, that's really awesome to see that many churches working together. And one of the things that happens in light of that is uh, this awesome place called Clear Creek Bible College um, is sponsored by that. Shannon is from Clear Creek, and they are starting a new program in the fall for church planning. Uh, you get educated for three years. You serve at the church plant for a year. And then, um, then you go and serve the Lord in that way. And so we're excited to, uh, uh, to connect with Shannon, and um, some of our people are going to connect with Shannon and, and uh, continue to breathe life into that vision of planting churches 
in communities that need them to reach people that don't know Christ. So um, that's awesome. And I just wanted you to know that when, when you give, like all those things that we just talked about, all those things are being furthered for the kingdom, which is, uh, which is awesome. So um, yeah, that's all the front matter, but it was just too good. Like it's so good to see what God is doing um, in his people and in the church to not share some of that. So today, uh, if you've got a Bible or a phone, find Mark 5. 5? Where am I from? Giving up my Indiana roots. <laughs> Been in the South too long. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. We've been journeying through the book of Mark together this year. And um, currently, we're, this, is, this is our kind of finishing up this idea of, of Jesus bringing clarity in the midst of our craziness. And uh, I'm excited to, uh, to read through this passage today with you and see that, uh, that Jesus awakens our failing faith. He awakens our failing faith. So let's read this and then just pray for our time in the Word. So when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, he's been doing a lot of back and forth, we've learned. A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. We've seen several people doing that too. And he begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, Your faith saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. And they came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in, and he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father, her mother, and those who were with him, and entered the place where the child was. And then he took the child by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated, little girl. I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. And then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us in in Scripture. And uh, we just pray that today we would hear from you about a man named Jesus. And that as we consider 
our faith in him that we would be transformed and changed and sent to love people, to love this community because of our love for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's two kinds of people in the world. Those who never let their cars get below half a tank of gas and those who know how many miles they have left when the light comes on. I heard that would be me. We got, we got Anybody else with me? I know how many miles uh, once the car light comes on. That is totally me. Um, totally me. So I had a problem because a few weeks ago I got a new car. Actually, this, this, this happened last Sunday. So Saturday I drove more than I was expecting. I was lower on gas than I thought, and my light had come on. But I just got to get to church in the morning, right? Just got to get to church. But Caitlin and I, our lives are chaotic, like everyone else's, right? We're not special. And, um, and so I drove to church knowing that I needed to get gas. And we were supposed to go somewhere right after church because it was Mother's Day and we were going. Okay, great. So Caitlin comes up to me in the chaos after church. And she's like, I've got to run home and get food. And I'll meet you at Craig and Robbins. She said, I'm going to take your car. Okay. Awesome. I didn't know how many miles I had on this new car with that light. <laughs> Zero miles to empty. <laughs> by, the time the, uh, by the time the day ended, we were, <laughs> here's what's funny, is I didn't even know all this. So Caitlin just drives around all day, and then we're driving back home at the end of the day, in the afternoon, and um, we're trying to figure out dinner on our way home, and Caitlin and I are on the phone, she's driving my car, I'm driving her car, and she's like, Oh, by the way, your car says zero miles to empty. <laughs> I was like, all right, okay, good. So our chaos, right, the, the craziness in our life had just reached a moment of desperation. And all of a sudden, everything else didn't matter. I was trying to figure out, how am I going to get this car to the gas station if I don't have enough gas to get there? I prayed a lot. I prayed a lot, and um, like I dropped the kids off, and I was like, I'm just going up to the gas station right now. Like, no more chances. We're, the craziness, I'm not like, I've got to get this done. We've got to take care of this. If I don't, I'll forget, and then I'll like get in my car again tomorrow morning and try to go to school. You know, it was just going to be bad. And I, I, think, um, I think a lot of times in life, right, there's two kinds of people. There's the kind of people that always keep their tank, proverbial tank, more than half full, and then there's the kind of people that know how many miles they've got left when the light comes on right? Craziness and clarity in that craziness. And whenever we operate in that way, and I think probably most of us do, it's a, it's a fast-paced, crazy world, and I think for a lot of us, whenever we operate that way, there are moments in life where the craziness turns to that moment of desperation, where you realize, oh no, there's zero miles to empty. I'm in trouble. What are we going to do? Today, I think that's the story of these uh, people that we see here in Mark chapter 5. Let's think about them for just a minute. We've got a father, and I'm going to say this and then explain it, right? The father of a worthless girl. And we know that she's not worthless in God's eyes, but we need to think about the situation. This guy is a dad. He's a dad, but he's also a synagogue ruler. That's the Jewish religious system of their day. And, and it's ironic because Jesus was exposing the very system that he was leading piece by piece. And so when Jairus, 
this dad who's just desperate for his girl to be made well comes to Jesus, everything would have been on the line for this guy. Desperation was certainly in view. But why? Well, his daughter is sick. She's near death. But more than that, Mark tells us in his gospel that she's 12. She's 12. And you're like, okay, great, she's 12. In the Jewish religious system, girls became women at age 12. They were no longer culturally validated by their fathers. As a sick 12-year-old girl, there was perhaps no one in that day, in that society, who was considered more vulnerable, more worthless than this little girl. Her only shot was for her dad to stand out in the crowd for his daughter and appeal to this new guy on the block that's exposing the very religious system that he's leading. That's a picture of desperation. And I qualify all that, right? Like we understand that that girl isn't worthless, that she is of the utmost value to God. But in that culture, in that day, it was how she was seen. We don't just see this dad and this little girl. We also see this, this woman, this unclean woman, a woman in a male-dominated society, and she had been bleeding for 12 years. I want you to try and put into perspective how long 12 years is. Have you been married 12 years? Some of you have, some of you haven't. It's a long time. <laughs> or maybe a short time. I don't know. I'm getting myself in trouble here. I don't know. But 12 years is a long time. Imagine being plagued by something physical in your body that was wrong for 12 years. We read that she'd spent everything, tried everything, and it only had gotten worse. And on top of that, this same religious system that we'd been talking about, it condemned her as unclean. And when you were unclean in this day and age, you were banished from society, forgotten. You were literally oftentimes outside of the city gates. Certainly there are people who are treated this way in our society. We know we can't say that that's what we think about those people or that that's what culture thinks about those people, but, but they're certainly treated that way. Or maybe that person is us. And in these moments, right, we see that, that these two individuals, for them, the craziness in their life had turned to utter desperation. When they thought about chasing after Jesus, when they thought about trying to get to him in the midst of all this crowd of people that was pressing in on him, they were in complete and utter survival mode. These people needed relief. They had zero miles left. I think we can all relate to that, right? There's moments and seasons and times in our life where we just need relief. We just need relief from the craziness of life. It says that Jairus fell at his feet and begged him earnestly. The woman just wanted to touch his clothes. People were pressing in on him. It felt like a mob. They just wanted relief, and so do we. We may seek relief from the pressures and stress of our work. We may, we may want relief from the chaos of children. We may want relief from the never-ending list of things to do and places to be. We may want relief from the physical pain that we battle against. May we want relief from the emotional pain of loss. But for all of us, there are things that, that they, they move from craziness to desperation, and we just need relief. 
And I think at its saddest point, when we're seeking this relief, we shift into acceptance. And we say things like, it's just the way things are. It's just the way things are. This week in America, there was not one, but two school shootings. There was another one that didn't make the news because no one was injured. It's an unthinkable time. But what struck me was a video of a young girl, high school teenager, who was in Texas at the shooting that happened on Friday morning, and they were interviewing her, and she made this comment. She's kind of, I mean, she's like almost laughing. You could tell it's like a nervous laughter. And she said this. She said, I knew that it was going to happen at our school at some point. It happens everywhere. It's scary when in our efforts to try and find relief from all the chaos and the craziness in our lives, we just begin to accept that things are the way they are. Because to me, that doesn't sound like John 10.10, where Jesus says, I have come to give them life in abundance. But for so many of us, that's where we find ourselves. We look at our marriage, we look at our family unit, we look at our job, we look at our home situation, whatever it is, we look at the things that are creating all this chaos in our lives, and we say, well, it's just the way that it's going to be. I think Jesus wants more for us than that. You know, no matter how much we try and get that abundant life for ourselves, we can't do it. We try to work more hours to, you know, help pay the bills and buy the things we want, and then family life suffers. We try to make our marriage stronger, and it seems to cost us in our careers because we're not there when the boss asks. We try to give up drugs or alcohol, and we lose friends at the same time as that. And when we try to grab hold of this abundant life by ourselves, we just can't. There's always a cost for it. There's always a price. Where does that leave us? We see that this is true even in the life of this woman and of Jairus. Verse 25 and 26 remind us, right, that she had endured much under many doctors. She'd spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she'd become worse, right? How many of you have experienced that? You try to make things better, and then they actually end up worse than they were before. You know, the difference between the bleeding woman and us is that her options for relief brought her to desperation more quickly. Her resources were more limited than ours, and in that way, it might have been a blessing. We are so insulated to our actual problems that it's difficult to come to the point of desperation. But the truth and the reality is that you can't find relief in any of the best solutions that man can buy. You can't drink away your pain. You can't numb it with drugs. You can't escape on vacation this summer, although it's a nice getaway. You can't find relief in avoiding the problems. You can't find a relief in accepting the problems. So, so what are we going to do? Our own attempts at relief will often leave us just where Jairus is. When the people from his house come and say, despite all of your efforts, your daughter is dead. Death is looming and there seems to be no hope. But what Jairus and this woman did right was this. Was that in their desperation, it got them to a point where they fell at the feet of Jesus and were willing to say, I'll try anything. 
I'll try anything. And in that moment, Jesus says back to them, now that you'll do anything, there's only one thing. Only believe. I love this scene that we see in Mark 5, verses 35 and 36. The the people come and they tell uh, Jairus that his daughter is dead. And Jesus' response is this in verse 36. It says, when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. You know, in all of those moments, in all the chaos and the craziness, our faith begins to falter, right? We may even feel a little bit like, Mike, we're wondering if we even have faith, if, if there's something worth believing in, in this God uh, in the, that we're serving, in Jesus Christ. We're wondering, could it even be real? Our faith begins to falter, our faith begins to fall, and yet in those moments, Jesus is still there, still saying to us, don't be afraid, only believe. And then we see what happens in verse 38. It says, they came, they came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And Jesus went in and said to them, why are you doing this? The child's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, tell to come. Little girl, get up. You know, one thing I love about Jesus is that Jesus serves the marginalized instead of fighting for them. He wasn't concerned about uh, overturning everything and creating upheaval and finding his voice. But instead, the very people that we talked about at the beginning today, whose lives were in complete desperation and utter chaos, he just comes and he stands with them and he heals them and he serves them the best way he knows how. He just loves on them. He gives the greatest attention to the one to the one person that culture says is worth the least in this little girl. He calls the unclean woman who shouldn't be accepted in society his daughter, not only making her well, but giving her value in the eyes of all who heard him. I love that Jesus runs to the weak and gently restores life in them. You know, the craziness in our lives is caused when our power is unlimited. The craziness in our lives is caused when power is unlimited. Think about it. If you give your kids free reign of the house, what is the house going to look like? Can I get an amen? There's a birthday party in our house yesterday. I can affirm that this is true. The same thing happens to us, guys. When our power is unlimited, craziness ensues. Chaos breaks out. But Jesus... But Jesus brings clarity in the middle of those moments by serving those who are marginalized by the misuse of that power. It's an amazing thing that he does because in the middle of all the chaos and all the brokenness and all the things that are wrong in your life and in this world, Jesus comes into the middle of those things and he sits beside the weakest and most marginalized and most broken things and loves them and serves them. And he does the same for you. He does the same for you. And what that means is, is that, like Wes said earlier, you may come in here and your life is a mess today. You may come in here, you didn't know what you were looking for. And all of those things are okay because wherever you are on your journey with Christ, he is walking with you saying, have courage. Don't be afraid. 
only believe. Just believe. When uh, I was a, uh, when I was at home, I didn't like to get up in the morning, and um, my mom was the mother of four boys, and so she devised all kinds of awesome tactics for dealing with boys. Uh, and one of those, in terms of getting boys to wake up and get ready in the morning, involved a water bottle. So uh, you got three times. I remember it very vividly. The first time was, guys, it's time to get up. The second time was, the next time it's the water bottle. The third time, it was a spray bottle of water that just hit you until you got out of bed. It was terrible. It was the most horrendous thing, a part of my childhood. I hated it. <laughs> it was not very gentle. I guess it was effective. But I tell that because now I appreciate the days. I don't use a, I don't use a water bottle. It's a little bit scarring. So Tinley doesn't get the water bottle yet. I'm not saying I'll never use it because I might eat those words. But right now, I appreciate the days where in the mornings I can go in and I can sit on the bed beside Tinley and I can wake her up gently. Just kind of whisper, Tinley, it's time to wake up. Gotta get ready for school. For her, she likes to know what she's wearing that day. I'm gonna whisper that to her too. And those moments are incredible. I wouldn't trade them for anything. And when I think about moments like that, I get to think about what it's like to be a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ. He comes quietly alongside of us, wakes us up gently, and says, just believe in me. Whatever you face today, just believe in me. I'm there with you. Whatever craziness is going on in your life right now, if you're worried about how you're going to pay that bill or how you're going to get out of this hole, or how you're going to get out of debt, whatever it is that you're facing, it's okay. I'm with you. Only believe. Take courage. It is I. Jesus awakens your failing faith. It doesn't require a certain level of faith to be a Jesus follower. It doesn't require you to be able to check certain boxes. It just requires faith. It requires the humility that we see in this religious leader who is willing to fall at the feet of a guy who is exposing his religious system. It requires the humility of a woman who culture had deemed unclean and untouchable to step out of the shadows, to step into the city as Jesus was coming back in and touch his cloak. And it requires you and I to humbly admit that I can't do it. I can't succeed apart from Christ. What does humility look like in our day and time? What does humility look like in our culture? I want to read this passage from James 4, 1 through 10, and then give some practical examples. James 4 says this, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and, obt and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? 
So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. He is jealous for you, right? But he gives greater grace. And therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That sounds like clarity in the midst of craziness. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Good wisdom for our day. Oliver Wendell Holmes is considered to be a great uh, judge in American history, and he said this, the greatest act of faith is when man decides that he is not God. The greatest act of faith is when man decides that he is not God. I'm a guy that when I get in the car, I'm just checking to see if the gas light is on. But what if, because of the love and power of Jesus Christ, I practically became a guy that kept my gas tank above half full? What if I set limits and, and use self-discipline in my life so that I could be operating with Christ on a daily basis? And you say, wait, why should I have to set limits? I thought we were after this abundant life that we read about in John 10.10. 10. We are, but we've established that we don't know how to get that life, and we are unable to get it for ourselves. And so when we set limits in our life and engage with self-discipline, we are expressing our faith, and in fact, a great faith in God before craziness becomes desperation. You see, setting limits and exercising self-discipline in our lives is often the greatest act of faith that we can do. It's expressing that we, as man, are not God. So, what limits can you set today that help you to pursue our limitless God? You see, the reality is that you will either limit God or you will limit yourself. And to humble yourself and to limit yourself and to, to set those things in place is a great act of faith. Limits express faith that God has control of everything outside of the limits that you set. It says things like, I trust God with my child's future, so I'm going to stop trying to give my kid every opportunity in the world. And in doing that, I will teach them about the importance of self-discipline and limitations. Limits say things like, I trust God with my finances, so I'm going to give back to him out of what he's given me. And I'm going to stop trying to buy my own happiness and give back to the God who gives me joy first. Limits say things like, I trust God with my career path, so I'm going to limit my work hours. I'm going to, to stop working myself to death, chasing the next promotion, chasing the next piece of success candy that I can find. Limits say I trust God to bring me the friends and the relationships I need. So I'm going to set limits on what things I will do with my friends and where I will go with them. I'm going to stop doing whatever it takes to make someone like me. It says I trust that God brought my spouse and I together as one. And what God has brought together, man should not separate. So I'm going to limit my interactions with others so as to protect that relationship. I'm going to limit my options on the front end to honor that relationship. You see, in all these things, when we begin to limit ourselves, we're expressing faith in a God who has control of all the other things. 
You will either limit God or you will limit yourself. Wouldn't you rather God be limitless than you? Just think about that. Wouldn't you rather the God who created the universe have limitless power in your life as opposed to you trying to figure it out? I want to pray for us today. The band's going to come. And then I want to invite you to uh, respond. So let's, let's pray together as the band comes. Father, we can only grasp in a small way how great you are, how limitless you are. And yet, inside of all of that, you sent your son Jesus. He gave up everything in heaven to come and to be a man, to be a human. And he did that to forgive us and to make a way for us to join you in eternity. And at the same time, this same God, this Jesus, is so loving and so compassionate that he would come and walk beside us and say to us in a gentle voice, don't be afraid, only believe. Father, today you know the stories of each person in here. You know the, the chaos and the craziness that they're up against. And I pray that you would draw them to yourself and draw them to Jesus. I pray, God, that you would just allow them to, to fall at your feet as this man did, as this woman did, in desperation saying, I'm done trying to do this on my own, God. I, I want to limit myself by saying, I trust you fully. I can't see you. I can't. I can't, I don't even know if you're real, but Father, I trust and place my faith in you because I see what you did in the lives of these people. And I recognize that you are my only hope, that life everlasting. Jesus, it's only you. It's only you. We pray all this in your name.